Well, again, good morning. Our uh, passage today is Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. In it, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, will you join me in prayer? Lord, as your word says, unless the Lord builds the house, The laborers work in vain. Lord, without your spirit, without you giving us understanding, without you teaching us, all of this is in vain. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts and our minds, open wide our imaginations, Lord to hear what it is you're teaching and saying to us today. We need you, Lord. We're calling on you. Please, God, come. Shine your light in our hearts. Open up our minds. Where there has been darkness, bring light. Where there has been hopelessness, bring hope. Where there has been emptiness, fill us with your spirit and with your love. We're calling on you, Lord, for those things. The world cannot give us that. Only you can. We love you, Lord. We ask this 
In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I, I want to open with a question for you. Do you have a best friend? Do you have a best friend? And if you're married uh, and you consider your spouse your best friend, like me, do you have a best friend besides your spouse? Well, I'm incredibly excited today because my best friend, Emmanuel, and his wife and daughter are actually flying to here from Texas this week. Tuesday evening, we will pick them up from the airport, and that'll be so good for my heart to get to hang out with my best friend from Texas. Uh, Emmanuel, my friend, who you know, hopefully y'all will get to meet this week, Emmanuel and I, we met when we were both in seminary in Waco, Texas. And I think the first time I met Emmanuel was actually at a Halloween party that another student was hosting at their house. You're probably like, Halloween parties at seminary? I know, I thought the same thing. Nevertheless, that is where we met. Uh, when I stepped outside of that house for a moment that night, Emmanuel actually walked up to me and started a conversation with me. And, you know, at the time, I didn't realize that Emmanuel was actually going to the same school as me. You know, the school year had just started, and I hadn't met him before. I, I just thought he must be a neighbor of the friend who was hosting the party. So I didn't realize he was actually a classmate. I just thought, that's a very extroverted uh, neighbor of this person. So I was surprised when I saw him at school soon after that. We didn't have any classes together that first school year, but I did notice that Emmanuel was a very kind and a very cool person. And I thought, wow, this is someone I would like to get to, to know more. And he was someone I admired from afar, but we never really interacted with each other very much that first school year that I had at seminary. Uh, the next school year, Emmanuel and I ran into each other, and to my surprise, he asked if I wanted to hang out later. And so I told him, I'd be down for that. Yeah, let's hang out. And later that evening, Emmanuel picked me up from my apartment. And I remember feeling kind of nervous because we didn't really know each other that well. And we were just going to go randomly hang out with each other. And uh, I wasn't really sure what we were going to do that night. And apparently Emmanuel wasn't either because he said, hey, man, what do you want to do tonight? as I got into the car. Now, Emmanuel at the time was not used to my very dry sense of humor, as I'm sure some of you aren't used to. You're like, is he joking or not? So I, I jokingly, I repeat, jokingly said, yeah, remember this is like 2012, this is a while ago. I said, yeah, man, I heard there's a nice Tours R Us in town. Emmanuel's eyes light up. Dude, Emmanuel said, yes, let's go. Let's go to Toys R Us. When we finally arrived at Toys R Us, 15 minutes later, I realized that we were actually going to do this. And the store was about to close, and as children and their parents were walking out, Emmanuel and I, two seminary students in their 20s, were walking in. I remember that night 
being one of the most fun and hilarious nights of my entire life. And I found out that Emmanuel, he knows his way around a hula hoop. We laughed at all the weird toys we saw while I reminisced about how much of my childhood I'd spent at Toys R Us. And since then, over the years, Emmanuel and I began to do nearly everything together. We did we had meals together. We saw movies together. We had Bible studies together. We did homework together. We traveled together. We drank coffee together. We read books together. We jammed out to music in the car together. We played volleyball and basketball together. And so much more. And now, over 10 years later, we still have a deep friendship in which he and his family would take the time out of their busy schedule to come and visit me and Marcella, all the way from Texas to Virginia, our new home. Like everyone needs a best friend like I have in Emmanuel. It's not just a nice thing to have. We, we need that in our lives. But I'm telling you all of this because I want you to see that this relationship that I have with my friend Emmanuel did not happen immediately. It wasn't like that. It wasn't immediate. It happened over time, through a rhythm of life together. Emmanuel and I built a deep friendship through how? Holding space for each other on a routine basis. That's how deep friendships are born and cultivated. His friendship is such a gift in my life. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It just arrived in my life. And it grew. It grew through rhythms of spending time together and opening our lives to each other. And what I want you to see today is that according to Jesus, a relationship with God works the same way. Throughout Scripture, we don't just see Jesus teaching this, we see him living this as well. He continually lived in a rhythm, or you could say a pattern, of life in which he was opening himself to God. In the same way that I held space for my friendship with Emmanuel through having meals with him, getting coffee with him, traveling with him, studying with him, and even going to Toys R Us with him, Jesus held space for God's love, presence, life, and power through activities such as praying to him, listening to him in scripture, spending time alone with him, resting with him, being around others with him, going through times without food to focus his entire mind, body, and spirit on him serving people with him, generously giving and sharing out of what he had received from him and proclaiming the good news of God's love, care, and rescuing acts to all who would listen to him. Look, in other words, there was a rhythm, there was a rhythm of life that Jesus lived that was oriented in a relational way towards God's activity around him and within him. Look, we just went through a series in which we looked at what discipleship is. And as you know, discipleship to Jesus means a commitment to arranging your life around the three goals 
of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. But, okay, at this point you might be wondering, I know you're wondering because some of you have voiced this to me, how? That's great. How? Well, over the next three months, we're going to look at the how. Over the next three months, we are going to look at the rhythms of life that Jesus adopted and is calling us as his disciples to adopt with him. Rhythms of life such as prayer, solitude, scripture, community, fasting. Yeah, we're going to talk about fasting. Service, generosity, and witnessing. And we're calling this series that we are just starting today, Rhythms of Grace. Why rhythms of grace? Why did I choose that word? Well, let's, let's look at what the word grace means. What does grace mean? Dallas Willard defines it this way. Grace is God acting in our lives to bring about what we do not deserve and cannot accomplish on our own. In other words, grace, biblically, is God's activity in our lives. And as disciples of Jesus, we are learning to open our lives to God as Jesus did, so that as disciples, we can grow in grace. God's always moving and acting around us, but are we holding space for that? So growing in grace, we want to grow in experiencing God's activity, love, and presence in our lives through our lives. You might say, growing in grace? How can you grow in grace? Well, 2 Peter 3.18, Peter encourages us as his fellow disciples to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is something we can grow in. We're not talking about growing in being accepted by God or not. You can't grow in that, but you can grow in a continual sense of awareness of God's love and presence in your life. We grow in that through adopting these rhythms of grace into our own lives. And where do we go to learn these rhythms of grace? In other words, continually opening ourselves, our attention to God. Well, ultimately, we go to Jesus. Of course, we go to Jesus. He frees us from the horrible existence of always trying to be and do good enough for God and leads us into a life of simply opening ourselves to God and receiving him freely. This is the invitation of discipleship to Jesus. This is what it's all about, to receive God's loving kindness, his grace. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates Jesus' invitation in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. This is how he translates it. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you.
Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the invitation of Jesus, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace that he lived by. The first rhythm of grace that we're learning about today is prayer. We're learning about prayer today. Prayer, let's define it. Prayer in the broadest sense of the word is the act of engaging in communication and communion with God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is where we consciously direct our mind, attention, thoughts, and words towards God. According to Mark Thibodeau, there are four basic levels of prayer, four kind of dimensions of prayer. Number one, talking to God. And this can look like praying pre-written prayers or singing to God in church. We just did that. Number two, talking with God. This can look like prayer journaling or just saying to God whatever's on your heart or mind. We're, we're mostly familiar with those first two, talking to God, talking with God. We're not as familiar with number three, listening to God. This can look like directing your attention to what God might be saying to you through Scripture, prophetically through other people, or thoughts and impressions he might be putting into your mind and your spirit. Number four, being with God. In other words, this is basically contemplation. This can look like just contemplating God's love for you. You're just resting. You're just sitting in silence, spending time in nature, and simply just resting in an awareness of his presence with you. So those, those are basically the four parts or four dimensions of prayer, talking to God, talking with God, listening to God, and being with God. Now, prayer is widely practiced throughout Scripture, but what stands out about the way Jesus prayed was the intimacy with which he prayed. And according to Jesus, look, intimacy is the entire, it's the whole point of prayer. Do you realize that? Did you think prayer was just like to get something? I mean, that's, that's nice, and that is a part of prayer. We can talk to God, and we can ask him for things, but that is for the sake of the relationship. That's for the sake of intimacy. How do we pray? That's the big question. Because when we talk about prayer, we're like, yeah, I've seen prayer. I'm around prayer all the time. But if we're honest, a lot of us, we just are like, okay, but, but how do I pray? When I get there, I feel so awkward. I don't know what to do. How do I do this? Well, in his book, How to Pray, Pete Gregg says that the best advice he ever received about prayer is to keep it real, keep it simple, keep it up. And I actually believe that we see Jesus convey all three of these ideas, all three of these pieces of advice in our passage today. And I believe the first one he starts with in this passage is keep it real. Keep it real. Look, when Jesus prayed, it was not a show. It was a relationship. A relationship is filled with so many interactions, such as asking for help, crying out in pain, laughing and celebrating, voicing doubts and questions, along with praises, blessings, and encouragement. One type of interaction that can never lead to or sustain a healthy relationship is acting. Acting cannot sustain 
cannot bring about a healthy relationship. Have you ever tried to have a relationship with someone that's always pretending to be someone that they're not? It's exhausting, isn't it? You know, not only is it exhausting, it's impossible. You cannot have a relationship with someone who's pretending to be someone that they are not. It just doesn't work. In verse 5, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Do you know what a hypocrite is? It's someone who's pretending to be someone that they're not. In fact, the word Jesus used here was hypocriti. And this word was typically used for actors, Greek actors, on a stage. So basically, Jesus was saying, when you pray, don't be like the actors. When you see an actor on stage, you're seeing someone who's literally pretending to be someone else. When Jesus talked about prayer in this passage, he basically said, please stop acting. God doesn't want a performance. He wants you. In the book I mentioned before, How to Pray, Pete Gregg says, he tells this story about this night that he was at the hospital with his wife um, who was having brain surgery. Can you imagine what that would be like to have a spouse being at the hospital waiting for them to have brain surgery? He says, one dark night when my wife Sammy was in the hospital awaiting brain surgery and long before we knew for sure that she was going to survive, my friend Dan kindly came to pray with me. Lord, if this is your time to take Sammy home, Dan ventured, artic articulating my deepest dread, would you please give Pete strength to bear the unbearable? It was a faithful and biblical thing to ask. It couldn't have been an easy thing to pray, but I was having none of it. No deal, I said, interrupting without apology. No way, God, over my dead body. I was out of my chair, pacing the room. If you're planning to take my wife from me, if you're planning to take a mom from her two little boys, well, you're going to have to fight me for her. Dan looked nervous, but I didn't care. And you're going to have to find someone else to do your PR in the future, too, I continued. I resign. I quit. I'm not going around telling people you're good if you don't prove it to me now. Tears were streaming down my cheeks. God, I just don't care what your will is. Let me tell you what my will is. I want my wife to live. I want our boys to know their mom. And if her name is up there on some celestial planner, if she's destined to die of this thing, then what I want, what I need, is for you to sort it out. I was almost howling my pain while poor Dan just sat there probably wondering whether it was okay to say amen to this kind of irreverence. It was one of the most honest prayers I'd ever prayed. Listen to this. For a while, I was embarrassed about the way I'd tried to pick a fight that night with God. Ashamed that I hadn't, had not been trusting enough or holy enough to echo the magnificent submission of Jesus in his darkest hour, when on the night before his crucif crucifixion, he said, not my will, but yours be done. But then one day the Lord showed me very gently that in fact he had cherished my willingness to fight for Sammy's life because he loves her too. That he would not have expected me to do anything less. That he himself, Jesus, 
had begged the father, take this cup from me, before he managed the other bit about not my will, but yours be done. Lord Jesus implored us as we pray to keep it real. Keep it real. You don't have to keep acting for God. You don't have to keep putting on a show for the church. Just this week, I was praying something that I felt embarrassed to tell God. But you know what? When I shared it with him, oh, I felt so much better. So much better when I told him. I need continual reminders like we all do to stop acting and just be real with God. When we drop the act, we get to see that God actually cares about the real version of us, not the fake one we keep bringing to him. And that is a beautiful reward to receive in prayer. So Jesus tells us to keep it real in prayer. But he also tells us to keep it simple. Keep it simple. In verse 7 through 8, he says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Like this week, I went to work on my sermon at Starbucks. And when I went to use a bathroom at this particular Starbucks in Fredericksburg, I found that the door was locked. It was one of those bathroom doors. I needed a code to get in. What's the code to unlock the bathroom? I asked the barista. 11036, she said, as probably the thousandth time that day. I walked to the bathroom door, pressed those numbers, beep, 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 click. A green light came on. To my delight, I had access to the bathroom. Yay! Look, we, I want you to see, we often treat prayer the same way. We think, I don't know the exact words I'm supposed to say to God, or I'm afraid I'll do it wrong, and that's okay. Look, for Jesus, it was not really a matter of the words you say, but the heart you say them with. That's what Jesus cared about. Jesus was not against long prayers. Many of his prayers were long. Jesus was not, was not against written prayers. Look, he just gave us one in this passage. Jesus was not against repetition in prayer. On the night before his crucifixion, he repeated the same prayer three times in a row. What Jesus was speaking against here in this passage is when we take the relationship aspect out of prayer. When this happens, God is treated less like a person and more like a locked bathroom door at Starbucks. When Jesus used the word pagans here, we're like, pagans? Whoa, Jesus. But Jesus wasn't using that. Uh, the way Jesus was using that is he was referring to people living outside of a covenantal relationship with God. Don't pray like the people who don't know God. He was referring to people who we might, you know, typically in your Bibles you'll see pagans or Gentiles. Ken E. Bailey wrote the book Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. 
he talks about in that book what it looked like for the Gentiles or pagans, whatever you want to call them, when they prayed to their God, this is what it looked like. Because Jesus said, don't, pay, don't pray like the, the pagans who just babble and babble. Well, okay, how, how did they pray? Well, Ken Bailey says, when they addressed their gods, which usually included the reigning emperor, so the emperor they considered to be one of the gods, the Gentiles used long salutations. They wanted to be sure to use all the correct titles, lest the god, perhaps Caesar, take offense. Now, how ponderous this could become appears in the titular names for Galerius Caesar. So we have an example from history of what this could look like. He says, in the early 4th century, a Christian historian named Eusebius quoted a decree issued by Galerius easing the persecution of Christians just before the age of Constantine. So I'm reading this to you because I want you to see what Jesus says, do not pray like the Gentiles. This is how they would typically pray. Here's an example. It opens, the emperor Caesar, Galerius, Valerius, Maximanus, Invictus, Augustus, Pontifex Maximus, Germanicus Maximus, Egypticus Maximus, Thebicus Maximus, Sarmanticus Maximus, Sarmanticus Maximus, Sarmanticus Maximus, Sarmanticus Maximus, Sarmanticus Maximus, Persicus Maximus, Persicus Maximus, Capricious Maximus, Capricious Maximus, Capricious Maximus, Capricious Maximus, Capricious Maximus, Capricious Maximus, Armenicus Maximus, Medicus Maximus, Abendicus Maximus, holder of the tribunal authority for the 20th time, emperor for the 19th, consul for the 8th, patre, patre, proconsul. This is just an example of the convoluted and complicated the world around Jesus often approached God in prayer. How did Jesus tell us to approach God in prayer? Our Father in heaven. I like that a lot more. It's much more what? Simple. Simple. According to Jesus, we can approach God very simply. And we can approach God very simply. Why? Because he is our Father in heaven. Tim Keller once put it this way. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 o'clock a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. That is the kind of access that we have to God. And Jesus' instructions to us here are very simple. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Keep it simple. So in prayer, Jesus implores us to keep it real and to keep it simple. And lastly, he implores us, keep it up. Keep it up. Jesus ends his teaching on prayer by giving us a prayer to pray. And this, of course, is not the only prayer we can pray. Look, we see Jesus praying many prayers besides this one. But it does encapsulate the simplicity of prayer and the honesty of prayer that Jesus is advocating in an easily repeatable and digestible size. The prayer Jesus gave us to pray in verses 9 through 13, which is 31 words long in its original language of Aramaic. And did you know that in Aramaic, it actually rhymed. It actually rhymed. It was meant to be easy and simple to repeat. 
For me personally, it was one of the first portions of the Bible that I memorized as a teenager. And you know, I've carried it with me all of my life. The prayer Jesus gives us here is simple enough for all of us because it is for all of us. But it's deep enough that it can and it does sustain a life, a lifetime of prayer. And look, we're not going to spend today looking at the Lord's Prayer in great detail. We'll have other weeks to do that. But I want you to just see today how easy and enjoyable Jesus made it to approach God in prayer. It addresses all of our needs, our need to worship, our need to hope, our need for food and daily necessities, our need to receive and give forgiveness, our need for God's protection and deliverance from evil within us and around us, all in one simple, repeatable prayer that we can always carry with us. Look, why is the prayer Jesus gave us so simple and so repeatable? Because Jesus is not concerned with us impressing him or anyone else with our prayers. He doesn't care about that. He just wants us to show up to him in prayer. That's all he wants. If your heart is truly in it, that's what Jesus cares about. Ronald Rollheiser puts it this way, there is no bad way to pray, and there is no one starting point to prayer. All the great spiritual masters offer only one non-negotiable rule. You have to show up for prayer, and you have to show up regularly. By now, most of you know that I have diabetes. But you may not know that I was diagnosed years ago with something called diabetic macular edema. As a diabetic, one thing you have to check on regularly is your vision. You have to get your eyes checked out. And when I went to have my eyes examined for the first time after being diagnosed with diabetes, the doctors told me that my eyes were in very bad shape and needed to receive treatment within the month or there would be permanent vision loss. When I went to the retina specialist in Dallas, he told me that I would need to receive medicine, so far so good, that would be administered through injections into my eye. Not as good. Uh, understandably, I was freaked out by that news. I didn't want a needle coming anywhere near my eyes. But I knew this was the only way to protect my vision. So I agreed to the treatment. And on the day of the first injection, I walked into the waiting room, and the first thing I wanted to do was distract myself by looking at my phone. And in that moment, I felt a tug on my heart to spend that time in prayer instead. So as I sat in the waiting room, I prayed. I told the Lord how scared I was. I told the Lord that I needed him. I asked the Lord to cause the injection to go well and for it to work the way it was supposed to. I asked for healing for my eyes. At one point, you know, you're sitting in a waiting room and people's names are being called before you. At one point, a woman's name was called for her appointment. And as she got up, I noticed that she was walking with a walking cane. As she got up, she leaned all the way to her body on that cane took a step, repeated that process until she got to the room that she was being taken to. And in that moment, 
I felt like I heard the Lord speak to me. I felt like I heard him say to me, Cody, that's what I am to you. Lean on me. Lean on me. And then the most random Bible verse popped into my head. You know, you have your classic, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This was, this was a random, random Bible verse. Hebrews eleven twenty one popped into my head. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And in that moment, I knew God was calling me to trust him, to lean on him and simply worship him. And I just remember my eyes being filled with tears and worshiping God in my heart in that waiting room until finally my name was called. I walked to the room they were sending me to, and I received my injection. And you know what? The injection wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And nearly three years later, I have 20-20 vision. But look, that's not really the point of the story. The point of the story is that regardless of the result of the injection, God brought deep, rich intimacy. Deep, rich intimacy into our relationship through prayer in that moment. I could have very easily distracted myself into oblivion by looking at my phone. And there's nothing wrong with looking at your phone. But you know what? I would not trade that moment for anything. I wouldn't trade that moment for anything. I praise God I was not spending it on my phone. He built intimacy and friendship in our relationship that day through prayer. And he does that every day of my life, through the big moments like that and the small, everyday moments as I come to him in prayer. But prayer has become a rhythm of grace in my life, a rhythm of opening myself to God and his activity and his love towards me. It's become a rhythm of grace in my life, just as it was a rhythm of grace in the life of Jesus, and just as it can be for all of us. We can know God intimately and deeply as we come to him day by day, just as we are, however we are, wherever we are. All we need to do is keep it real. Keep it simple. Keep it up. A practice that we can do as a church together this week to habituate this teaching of Jesus into our lives, it's not going to stick with us unless we do it. A practice we can do to move this into our lives is just to tell God one thing this week that you've never told him before. Just tell him one thing you've never told him before. It's, it's not that he doesn't know something and you need to tell him. Jesus made it clear in verse 8 that God already knows your needs and what's on your mind. The point is not to give breaking news to God. The point is just to take something, anything, to God in prayer. And I'm inviting you this week to just try it. Just try it. Just try it. If you've never done that before, you can't really understand what Jesus is teaching in this passage. 
until you try it. Just aim for telling God one thing this week you've never told him before. Does that sound intimidating? Oh, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. It, it can be something interesting you saw on your drive home from church today. It can be something that's bothering or upsetting you at work or at school. It can be something you don't like about yourself or someone else. It can be something you regret in the past. It can be something you hope to see or do one day in the future. Really, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. The goal is just to experience for yourself the beauty of honesty and simplicity in prayer that Jesus invites us into. This intimacy with God in prayer is a gift for you to experience, not just a sermon for you to hear. And as you continue to show up to God this way in prayer, you will find a Father in heaven waiting to reward you with all of his loving attention, care, and presence as you enjoy a relationship of love, intimacy, and depth in a culture of distraction and escapism with him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are tired of being fake with you in prayer. We are, tried, we are tired of trying to get all the words just right. And Lord, I believe you are too. Help us, Lord, going forward to come to you just as we are. Keep it real, keep it simple, keep it up. Because what you're after, Lord, is not good prayers, but a friendship. Thank you, Lord, that you're inviting us into that today and every day. Help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.